Welcome to Under the Oaks. I'm Lauren Thompson. And I'm Pastor Trent Starry. We are on episode Sweet 16. It's hard to believe that we've already come this far, man. Uh, wow, that's a lot. And if you're still with us, you know, you, you get a special badge or something, a sticker on your chart. Anybody out there? Any, anybody? <laughs> anybody? Well, if, if anybody's out there and they've been with us this long, they deserve some sort of award. In our last episode, we talked about uh, the important work of the Holy Spirit in bringing us to faith because we are born dead in our sins and trespasses, bringing us the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation that Jesus has won for us on the cross. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about forgiveness of sins and uh, what we would often refer to as the central article of the Christian faith. And we're talking about justification by grace through faith for Christ's sake. So, that's where we're going to be headed, and we're going to start with just a sort of a, maybe an obvious question, a simple question. Do we need forgiveness of sins? And if we're examining our hearts honestly, according to the scriptures, according to the Ten Commandments, according to what God has revealed in his word, then the honest answer is yes, we all do, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the scriptures reiterate that point throughout Psalm 51 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, or I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time of conception. This is David writing. Psalm 19 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So, there are sins that we're not even aware of. Uh, Not only do do our sins pile up uh, high each day, but they're probably much higher than we even realize because there are sins that we're not even aware of. We don't discern our errors, all of them. Isaiah 59, verse 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. So our sins have created a gulf between us and our Creator God, a gulf that we're unable to bridge by our own merits, our own works, our own efforts. It can't be done. So, yes, we need forgiveness. Uh, This is going to be essential. If we ever expect to uh, cross that, that gulf that separates us from our God, it can only be by the remission of sins or forgiveness. Now, the question is, does God forgive sins? And throughout the scriptures, we, we find passages like this, as we see in the Psalms 130, with you there is forgiveness. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all your iniquity. So, certainly throughout the scriptures, we have examples of God forgiving sin, and we have statements just like that that point out definitively that, yes, indeed, the true God, the triune God, forgives sins. That being said, uh, how? How does God forgive sins? St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So, we come across that term, justify, and we'll talk about what that means here in just one minute. In Romans chapter 4, St. Paul says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is counted as righteousness. So God justifies the ungodly. He acquits them. So God no longer considers us to be guilty of our sins, but declares us to be righteous or not guilty, and we call this justification. It's really a courtroom term, and the easiest way to picture it is this. You are the defendant, and all of the evidence has been lined up in front of the jury, and it's all pointing to your guilt. There's nothing you're going to do to get out of this. Everybody in that whole room knows that you're guilty as sin. Guilty of sin, right? And you know, the, def- the, the lawyers, the, the prosecuting attorneys are all there accusing you, pointing out all of your faults, and nobody can deny it. And, and then, out of nowhere, someone steps in and says, I'll pay the debt. I've got this covered. And instead of slamming down the gavel and declaring you guilty as you truly deserve, the judge slams down the gavel and says, innocent, not guilty completely free. Forgiven is really what we're talking about here in the spiritual sense. So this is really the essence of justification. It's a little bit more nuanced than that when we, when we start to look at who God is, and remember we've talked about some of the attributes of God. So we might want to explore a few other aspects of this, such as how can God who is holy and just and therefore must punish sin, because remember that's by definition, what those attributes really refer to. If he's just, then he's not like the, the parent who threatens and then doesn't follow through. Wrongdoing, sin must be punished. So how does a just and holy God punish sin? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, St. Paul writes, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, So there we have the forgiveness part of it, but listen as to why that forgiveness comes. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So we kind of call this the great exchange, uh, that Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he pays the wages of that sin, which is death. But because he has lived a perfect life, he also imputes to us, he credits to our account, his perfect righteousness. So that when we stand before God, not only are our sins forgiven, but we are truly holy and righteous in Christ. 1 John chapter 2, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, Jesus is the payment for our sins, but notice the objective aspect of this. He is the the payment, the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. We heard that in the previous verse, too, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, some people want to say, teach what's called limited atonement, that Jesus only died for the elect. He only died for the ones who would come to believe. Simply not true. I mean, the scriptures point out this in numerous places, but here these these two verses specifically tell us that he is the payment for the sins of the whole world, that God reconciled the whole world to himself through Christ or in Christ. In Romans chapter 3, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared righteous, 
by his grace, uh, grace being undeserved love and mercy, as a gift, not earned, right? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Romans 3, 23, 24, underline it in your Bible. This is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful verse that uh, describes the gospel perfectly. From this, we learn that God forgives sin because his son, Jesus, has made the payment for it. And he charged the sins of the whole world to Jesus as our substitute. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, as St. Paul said. When he died, he paid the penalty for the sins. He is the propitiation for the sins of all the world, St. John said, of all time, of all places. Now, this teaching that Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world or made atonement for all people is what we call objective or universal justification. And don't get caught up in, uh, we're going to talk about objective and subjective justification, but they're not two justifications. They're just different aspects of the same justification. So when we talk about objective uh, justification, we're talking about the fact that it is true regardless of what we think. It's objectively true outside of us, right? It's not dependent upon something in me to make it true. It is a fact. How do we know this? Because the scriptures state it very clearly. And the other aspect is what we call universal, uh, and that's just what it sounds like. It's for all people, of all times, of all places. And this is wonderfully comforting. Your justification is not dependent upon something in you for you to do. It's already true in Christ. And you don't need to wonder whether this is for you or if you're included in that payment for sin that Jesus made because it is universal. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, and certainly that includes you. God so loved the world, a sinful world, that includes you. All of this being said, if we stop there, you might very well say, well, then everybody goes to heaven. It sounds like universalism. But that's not true. A gift must be received if it's to be appropriated and beneficial to us, right? So how do you receive the forgiveness of sins or justification? Romans chapter 4, St. Paul says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So there we, we heard that verse already before, but uh, the emphasis being it is God who justifies the ungodly. Notice it's, there's nothing good or, or uh, meritorious in those who are being justified. And it's done through faith. His faith is counted as righteousness. So we talk about faith being the receptive instrument, the open hand which receives the gifts that God gives. If you don't have the instrument to receive the gift, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't mean that God didn't give it to you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to have it. But apart from faith, you have no way of receiving it. And remember, faith itself is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, as St. Paul says in Ephesians. Romans chapter 3, we hold that one is justified, declared righteous, by faith apart from the works of the law. So this is not something that we do or earn or deserve. 
And I, th- I think we have to be careful when we talk about faith, too. Um, it's not that God sees your faith and rewards it. I think sometimes people talk about faith as though it's a good quality or a good characteristic in us that somehow God is impressed with and therefore he rewards. So it doesn't say you're justified because of your faith, simply that you're justified through faith, that faith is the means by which you apprehend or take hold of the blessings that Christ has won for us. So we're not justified because of faith, but through faith or by faith. And as we've said before, 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say Jesus is Lord. Nobody can confess faith in Jesus apart from the important work of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about in our last episode. So as we look at this, we're now talking about the subjective aspects of justification. We said uh, there is an objective aspect in which it's true outside of us, whether we believe it or not. It's true in Christ, and it's for all people. But now we're talking about this becoming mine. And here we would say, I receive the forgiveness of sins when the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace, and that's a term that maybe if you're outside of Lutheranism, you're not familiar with. Uh, We talk about the means of grace as the means through which God brings to us the blessings of salvation, forgiveness, life, and so on. And these means of grace, these channels through which God brings us these blessings, are the gospel in word and the gospel in the sacraments. So we're going to talk more about those things as we go on here too. So the Holy Spirit, through the means of grace, creates in me the faith that God has forgiven all my sins because of what Jesus has done. And and more than that, yes, so we emphasize that God actually distributes the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation through these means. It's not just he reminds us about these truths or he just tells us they're true. He actually brings us those life-giving treasures through his word, through his sacraments. Now, the teaching that Jesus paid for my sins we call subjective or individual justification. So what was objectively true doesn't do you any good unless it's subjectively received. What was universal, what was universally true, doesn't do you any good unless it's individually appropriated, right? This goes without saying. I mean, this is, this is the way things work. So what then does the Bible teach about the forgiveness of sins or justification? Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified— And every time you hear that word, you might as well think declared righteous by his grace, undeserved love and mercy, as a gift, not earned or deserved, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is all on account of what Jesus has done. And Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we receive forgiveness of sins. We are justified before God, not because of anything we've done, but by grace, because of what Jesus has done through faith. Historically, we we sometimes talk about this article of justification by grace through faith, this teaching, this doctrine, as the article by which the church stands or falls. You have this, and if you have it right, you have the treasures of salvation. You've got everything 
that you need, the one thing needful. If you get it wrong, you have nothing. You might have all the outward appearances of Christianity, but you lack the very heart and center of it all. Likewise, when we come to the scriptures, this is the very hinge point. This is what it all points to. Uh, The Old Testament pointing forward to it, the New Testament pointing back to it. It's all wrapped up in the person of Christ, obviously. But again, if, if we read the scriptures and we fail to see this at the very center of it, we miss the point entirely. So this is a very, very important teaching. It's one that people like Martin Luther were willing to risk their lives for uh, when they saw that it had been distorted or perverted. And certainly he wasn't the only one. I mean, we, we, we come across that in, in the New Testament itself. I mean, the apostles, most of them all, besides John, die as martyrs for this teaching, the gospel. So why can and should every Christian be certain of the forgiveness of sins and of their salvation? Now, you'll hear a lot of people uh, you know, sometimes talk about, are you sure you're saved? And it's interesting to hear various Christians answer that question. A lot of people, you know, you'll hear street corner evangelists, you know, have you found God? Sir, are you saved? And, of course, what they want you to say is, yes, I've given my life to Christ. I, I had this conversion experience. I, you know, I was born again. And they can usually point to a day, time, and place that this feeling came over them or they said this prayer or whatever it might be. This becomes the, the center point or the mark of a true Christian. The problem with that is the certainty becomes very subjective. Am I sure I did it right? Was I really sincere? Uh, Maybe it was my mind playing a trick on me. Obviously, this becomes kind of a dangerous place to have your faith resting. So rather, we would say faith rests securely on the objective word of God outside of us. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know Jesus paid for my sins? Because the Bible says it. You know, it's the song we all learned in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Sounds simple enough. Sounds straightforward enough. And yet, it actually is quite profound. I actually had heard somebody change the lyrics of that song. They said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my heart tells me so. And uh, that's not true. Your heart might tell you a lot of things that aren't true. The heart is deceitful above all things. So, it's because of the objective truth of God's word that we can be certain of our forgiveness and so on. So, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, notice there is a certainty of salvation that Jesus speaks of, but there's also... He tells us how that certainty comes. My sheep hear my voice. They're listening to him. They follow him. They receive what he gives. He gives eternal life. And it's because of that, because of Jesus, that they'll never perish. In Titus chapter 3, St. Paul writes, He, that is God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
So again, this is God's work. We're going to come back to that verse in a future episode where we talk about the blessings of baptism. But again, notice how all of these things lead us to look outside of ourselves. This is God's work, God's doing, what he's done for us, what he has said to us in his word, what he's done for us in baptism. Romans chapter 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So every believer can and should be sure of the forgiveness of his sins and his salvation because God's promise is certain. He doesn't lie. And again, this is the bedrock or the solid foundation upon which our faith rests securely. Uh, How can I know that Jesus paid for my sins? How can I know that God loves me and forgives me? Well, because the scriptures declare it. And God's word is not a dead letter. It is living and active. It actually imparts the very forgiveness that it speaks of. So, why must we always hold and therefore teach this doctrine of justification by grace for Christ's sake through faith? Why is this so important? Why is it the article by which the church stands or falls? Well, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, we read, there is salvation in no one else, no one else beside Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this is the chief teaching of the scriptures itself. All roads don't lead to the same place. Contrary to the universalism taught in our our culture and our society, the Bible makes these exclusive claims. Jesus would say, no one comes to the Father, but by me. The book of Acts says, there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. John chapter 20, St. John writes, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the scriptures point us to the all-sufficiency of Christ. He is the one thing needful. He gives us all that we need for salvation. When he says it's finished on the cross, He means it's finished. He doesn't say, I've done my part, now you better step up and do yours. Galatians chapter 5. St. Paul writing to a group of people who were tempted to go back to some sort of reliance on the works of the law, to sort of combine faith in Christ with works done according to the law, He says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, we can't kind of concoct our own version of Christianity where we can kind of combine uh, this and that. And we say, yeah, faith in, in Jesus is good, but you also should have this and that. And these are the true marks. No, St. Paul warns to depart from the gospel, the pure gospel, this teaching of justification by grace through faith is to sever ourselves from Christ, to fall away from grace. In other words, apart from God's grace, what are we left with? His wrath and judgment. That's not someplace we want to be. So this is super important. It's, it's of utmost importance. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. It is this message that gives 
true comfort to sin-burdened consciences. Everybody's walking around with baggage. Everyone's walking around with skeletons in their closet. There are things that we're too ashamed to tell other people about that we've thought or done in our past. God knows these. And it's the gospel that brings us true comfort and lasting comfort, that assures us of God's love, his mercy, and that eternal salvation that Jesus has won for us. So we need this for consolation's sakes. It's not uh, based on any sort of conditional clause, you know, if you do this, then God will forgive you. It's true in Jesus, and therefore it brings real comfort. As Jesus would say, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So really, when we think about this teaching of justification by grace through faith, it completely excludes us in our works, our merits, our, our deserving of it, or any of that. In essence, it gives all glory to God. It gives all glory to Christ. In fact, it's only this teaching. As we look around the world, at the various teachings out there in Christianity or in world religions, most of them want to attribute some sort of glory or cause of salvation to man. It's this central teaching of the scriptures that ascribes all glory to God alone. This is a powerful apologetic for the truth of the gospel. I've, I've mentioned it before, um, you know, really when you break it down, there's really only two religions in the world. There's a religion of works that says I get to heaven or the afterlife in some way, shape, or form by something I've done. And then there's the religion of pure grace, which centers on justification by grace through faith, that we're saved completely for Christ's sake. We're forgiven completely for Christ's sake. And all of this is, comes to us as a gift. So why do we need to hold and teach this doctrine of justification by grace, for Christ's sake, through faith? Well, because it is the chief doctrine of the Christian religion because it distinguishes the Christian religion from all false religions, which all teach salvation by works, because it gives enduring comfort for, to repentant sinners, and because it gives all glory to God. So, I, I, you know, this is uh, something that we, we should come back to over and over and over uh, so that we understand it clearly. And I'm sure that raises some questions in, in your minds, and hopefully we'll be able to cover some of those questions in future episodes. But as always, you're more than welcome to submit your questions to us via email or, or whatever, uh, and hopefully we'll get to them. Just to give you a little preview of things to come, uh, you know, we've got a few more episodes covering some of these essential teachings of the scriptures, what does the Bible say? But in the future, we're going to have all sorts of exciting things for you on Under the Oaks. We've got, uh, you know, some interviews and some, some topical studies uh, lined up, and I think you'll enjoy of that as well. So, thank you for joining us on Under the Oaks. This is Pastor Trent Sari. And I'm Lauren Thompson. Join us next time. <laughs> <laughs>